In this episode, we're having a one-word conversation with students. Relationships can close gaps, widen gaps, and reveal gaps as well. Our guests provide the details. The goal of this podcast is to place students and faculty into dialogue with each other over the issues that impact teaching and learning in community college. We want student and faculty voices to be authentic and raw. Yes, we're Generation Z. Like, come through. We want to hear how faculty are actually teaching and how students are actually learning. How confident are we all in that we are teaching the way students learn? We want to hear what resources are currently available and what needs are still not being met. I want like full campus exposure, not like, like ah, you gotta come, you know what I mean? We want to engage the topics that make us salty. Oh, canvas! That make us hopeful. The Uprise and Mecha and Puente. And that make us educators. Through these discussions, we won't arrive at decisions or solutions. Rather, we hope to provide space for a range of perspectives weighing values and outcomes. When students talk about what has made them successful is always those personal connections they have with the faculty. A space where teaching and learning meet. Dangerous topics need a safe space. This is a podcast brave enough. Dumb enough? Um, empathetic. Yes, this is a podcast with empathy enough to create a safe space for dangerous topics. Hi, Dom. Hi. <laughs> when you think about the word relationships, in terms of your experiences at the community college, what, what comes to mind for you? I think of students, I guess, and building the with them in the classroom. Just because, well, to me, I, in the beginning, like my first semester, I really didn't like think I was going to talk to anyone. So I tried to keep to myself and I tried to do it all on my own until I realized there's gonna come a point where you're gonna have to ask someone for like a question or like ask them like, did you do this? Or like, are you caught up? So then I started to like, once I started getting into like, more classes I started to come in and start forming relationships like straight off like trying to meet new people so that I could have more people in the classroom to like conversate with and like discuss things with so yeah just I think of students in that like relationship and so jumping into those classes were was that facilitated by the instructor did they do something to like get people to meet people did that help out or is it something that you had to kind of just come into your own in terms of like asking, uh, getting to know other students in your classes? So certain classes, I'm in communication, certain classes we were forced to, but other classes, um, no, we, I kind of did that on my own. So like when I would like, you know, like you first come in, you kind of choose your seating. So like the people I would sit around, I would like kind of just like, oh, like when there's like, you know, silent time, I would just like kind of like ask them like, oh, what's your name? with your major and like, you know, the small questions. And then like, from there, like as the days mm -hmm. gone, we would kind of, oh, did you do the work? Or like, did you do this? Or did you catch up on that? And then like, from there, we kind of just started forming like our little, our little group to like, just like talk about things we need help with. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And that's great. I, so as a sociologist, I'm always interested in relationships in different institutions, right? So there's relationships at school, relationships at work and our family and things like that. Abby, what, what are some of the distinctions between the relationships that you may form at school with other students, instructors, counselors, the uh, staff, and maybe the relationships that you form in other places in your life? Like, what, what do you find are some of the differences there? 
I feel like um pretty similar, Dominique, where I kind of like instinctually stick to myself and just try to get through myself without bothering anyone, I guess. But in school, you really have to go out there. You really have to make friends because that's really how you're going to succeed. That's probably the most important relationship for me in terms of my academic development. Because um, a lot of my friends in school helped tutor me. They helped um, keep me on track, woke me up to go to class, things <laughs> like that. Um, and then in the real personality is probably different starting off. I'm probably more like open, honestly. Like I'll talk to all the my cashier about how their day's going and things like that because because I know that the goal of the relationship is different. Whereas like in school, I wanted to build like a strong relationship with someone, whereas with strangers, it's not so important, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think that's interesting. So and, and, uh, a relationship with someone in a class and, and really, you know, uh, the accountability that comes along with that kind of community, right? Um, but then a relationship with a person you see on a daily basis is also a connection to a community, right? Um, um, and I'm thinking of, especially at, at college, you know, relationship with counselors you see or relationships with folks in the cafeteria that, you know, you consistently see and smile and, and, and just, you know, uh, I wonder, you know, the, it makes me think that there's a sense of belonging that we get from those relationships. Julie, I see you nodding. Do you want to, do you want to respond to that at all or? Yeah, so for me, like when I think of relationships um, at Maricosta, I think of all the relationships I've made in terms of like the ACE programs like Puente and then how Puente has helped me create more relationships with other faculty. And um, I think it's really important because they have helped me in a lot of things um, in a lot of places where I have felt like I was not academically prepared to um, tackle any type of schoolwork and they were there to help me in any way that I needed to and they weren't my professors they were um, counselors they were um, part of the counseling department and they were there to step in and to help me and um, that was really helpful for me because not only do you need your professor's help but you need surrounding help and and you said you were part of a, a cohort yes yes and so what how, how does that cohort model stack up to like the other relation like because you know you form friendships and people in in other classes but that cohort is really tight knit right and, mm -hmm. and you're all kind of doing the same thing have the same goals and in some ways have the same interests and background maybe right um yeah. can you talk a little bit about that cohort model yeah so i think it's unique in the fact that everyone who joins kind of comes from similar backgrounds and um that's really helpful in knowing that you're not alone. And it's really helpful knowing that there's people who have gone through this and who are now leaders in those types of programs and they are enforcing these relationships among each other. That way we are there to help each other as a community. And um, I know specifically for Puente, community is very important. Uh, in our culture, we believe that you cannot be raised just by your parents, but it's a community as a whole. Right. That, so that's an interesting reference because it does sound like uh, these cohort programs like MANA and Puente, uh, that they do build families, sort mm -hmm. of like a closer knit community than a, just a community. Um, yeah, so and, and that families come with lots of other things too, right? <laughs> <laughs>
and that but, so could you speak to that a little bit we don't, we don't want to go too personal or into too much detail but um the you know the whole family of puente what what is that like and how has that been beneficial for you I feel like every cohort is unique in their own experiences. I know for my particular cohort, Puente was very, very um, inactive before we came in. So once we came in, it was super hard to get it back and going. But I feel like um, with the leaders of Puente and the current like advisors for Puente were very, very um, persistent and determined to get us started up and running again. And um, because of that, we ran into a lot of difficulties, like, um, you know, who's going to do this? Who's going to take this role? Um, how much are you willing to dedicate your time knowing that you have this and that? And there was a lot of, um, you know, that, that was very problematic in itself. Um, but I think because we were going through it together, it helped us build more of that bond because we, we understood that struggle to be um, seen again and to be active again. And I think that was unique in itself. And um, I think the fact that also the advisors were, it was also their first time too, taking up a role. So I feel like it helped us develop more relationship with those advisors. And it was more of a personal relationship rather than a student and professor relationship. And, you know, for us, we were able to name them like our other, our other mom or our other Thea. So um, yeah, we, we bonded really, really well. And I'm glad that we were able to overcome all of those obstacles and trying to activate Puente. You, you learn a lot about relationships through those kind of collaborations, right? Especially when you're trying to start something up or start something again. And it's interesting how you talk about the relationships between the students and the professors being at a more personal level in some ways, but like if you were still in their classes, then you got to kind of switch, right? You got to kind of code switch. And when you're in the class, it's like, that's my professor. But then when you're outside of class, it's like, hey, we got to get this project done. I talk to you a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're always kind of making the, we're always kind of navigating that. And I kind of want to bring it to James for a second, because James, can you talk about those relationships that you formed at Miracosta when you were a student there and then going upper division into uh, at Cal State San Marcos? maybe how the dynamic changed or remained the same there. And then further going into graduate school, now you have a different kind of cohort. And to me, it's kind of always, for better or for worse, it's like this funnel, right? Where you have a bunch of people at the top and then in the beginning, and then it kind of goes down and it gets really narrow. And then you're with a very small group of people focused on a very narrow um uh, subject or goal, which is that, that, that graduate degree, that master's degree. And as you finish up and you kind of reflect, what do those relationships look like and how have they changed through your higher ed experience? Well, definitely. Like when I was in Miracosta, I was a little bit younger. So there was a lot more people like my age running around. And, you know, I, I got to form a lot of relationships with other students, the teachers, the, the, the professors, not so much. I was still a little bit younger and I still felt a little bit uncomfortable. I was still more more comfortable making relationships with students. Um, and then when I transferred to Cal State San Marcos, the classes got even bigger. So there was a little bit a little bit less of a connection with the professors because the classes are so large. I made these relationships with students a little bit, you know, out of necessity because in order to get the material, you need to, like uh, Don was saying earlier, you kind of have to make these relationships to figure out what's due or, man, did you do that one project? Or, man, what, what was he talking about? Like, what, what was that? So... Yeah, but then once you get to graduate school, 
it's another dynamic completely. The class, the cohort model is like 13 of us and we're all together for two years. So you get really connected to the professors. You kind of, you do build these relationships with your, um, your fellow cohort members and the professors because they're there with you. They know what you're going through. They treat, they treat you a little bit differently because they treat you more as professionals. But with the, like my cohort, my relationships with my different, you know, cohort members, there was some butting heads, like someone mentioned the families. So it is very much like a family, but you know, there will be disagreements. There will be people who feel some way or another, but at the end of the day, we're all going to graduate together. And I believe we'll all still be in contact for probably the rest of our professional lives, you know, which is kind of a good thing, but it definitely shifts a lot throughout um, schooling. Definitely. Abby, you, um, you, I'm sorry. So UCSD, is that where you went? Yeah. And did you start? Did you start there as a freshman and and go through the dorms? Is that was that your experience? Yeah, that's. I had the pretty traditional college experience. Yeah. Right on. So, could you expl- describe a little bit, like like relationships fostered along the way, and um, how that uh, uh, you know similarly kind of progressed from freshman year to senior year, finding cohorts. Oh yeah. Um, so freshman year, obviously, I don't know anyone. And I was living in the dorms, so one of the best ways to make friends is either the people that you live around. I was in a 15-girl dorm, <laughs> only four rooms. Um, and the second way was just trying new things. So I remember I signed up for sailing clubs, never sailed in my life. I took like a belly dancing class and all these crazy things, and it was just like I feel like that was really important for trying to find my niche, a group of people that I really got along with. And then I also joined organizations that were specific to my major, so like biology clubs and things like that. And a lot of these clubs offered different like mixers or socials so you could meet professors and you could meet different people who had their own labs and could tour them or you could meet other students. And that was just such a great way to make relationships. Because it's a little bit different at a commuter college, like like a community college, right? Where you're not living within proximity to the campus. You're there by degrees, right? You, sometimes we pop in for one class and we have to leave and go to work, um, um, which I think facilitates just a different sense of, of connection to the campus and the community than when you're in the dorms and kind of there every day. I guess I have to say, like, so when I was at UCSD, I was taking a couple classes at Miracosta and some other community colleges at the same time, and I feel a lot stronger, like, I don't know, camaraderie for my own school because I live there, and every student was that was there was like our own little town, like, so I don't know if everybody knows how UCSD works, probably not, but it's a humongous campus, and within the campus, we have six small colleges. And when I say small, it's still like five or 6,000 students per year. So like, you know, it was four grades a lot. Um, and we each had our own little convenience store. We had our own counselors there and things like that. And so it was really easy to build a community within my own dorm and within my own college and then within the, like the entire college system. And so I just had all these different options of people to reach out to if I needed help. And it was great. Right on. And can I just ask really quickly, uh, did you find, because uh, I think a lot of the students listening to this particular podcast are going to be transfer students. So in your four-year experience, did you find transfer students kind of integrating themselves into your established communities? I think so. So if 
I think a lot of the colleges have specific programs for transfer students and they are like like my clubs and things like that where they come with mixers and events and things where you can meet older students, younger students, other transfer students, and it really helps to simulate you into campus. Like you really, I, I don't even know who's a transfer student or not. It's not something anybody ever mentioned. That, that's cool. That's that's awesome. That, that sounds like a successful program. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I have a question for Dom. Um, as you're kind of wrapping up in Miracosa, what, what do you, what do you feel like was the most valuable or beneficial relationship that you cultivated with somebody who works there? Counselor, instructor, staff member, who did you really connect with? And again, we don't have to say names, but just like, can you describe what that was like? And if that, if and how that um, contributed to you going through the process of getting to transfer? Yeah, so um, the most significant relationship was my counselor. They started off as one of my professors. Um, it was like it was, it was like my first semester, so it was like kind of like an intro course, I guess. And so was that counseling one hundred? Yes, yes, okay. it was. All right, <laughs> I can't remember the name, but um, yes, and then she, and then she became my counselor, and from there, like we form this like strong relationship and she literally helped me like from start to finish because like she pushed me like finding like the school I needed to go to because I had like I had no idea where I wanted to go or like what even like major I wanted to do like I was totally lost I just knew I needed to take classes but she was like they were helping me like making the decision to like stay in state because I was actually trying to go out of state but she convinced like she helped me convince me and like she gave me like pros and cons to like what the benefits are and to like staying in state and so i really i trusted her so much and she like she brought me to like this web the website i forgot that like explains like the majors and all that stuff and like the school i think it's like, assist is it assist.org yeah yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah sorry um she showed me to assist and that really helped me like finding where i wanted to go and then like one thing that really stood out to me is like recently I was like I was I originally denied for my school Sacramento because of my academic but the thing was I had like everything met so I was like freaking out like I emailed her and I was like did I do something wrong I was kind of stuff and she took it upon herself to like like look into it and make sure like I'm like I had everything she contacted one of the counselors there and was like this is a layout and everything and like I really appreciated that so much. Like, I really, like, that helped me. And she she sent me an email, like, this is what you need to do so they can look at it, and this is what you have to go through. And I did I did all those steps. And, like, after they did, like, they they, they re-looked at it, and I was like, oh, that's, a, that's like, our fault. We messed up. I was, wow. like, just so thankful that she, like, helped me. But, yeah, my counselor, yes. <laughs> Shout out to my counselor. She's awesome. the best thing ever. <laughs> that's great. That's great. And maybe Julie, Julie, same question. Is there somebody that comes to mind for you that works at Miracosa? Um, there's many actually. <laughs> um, you know, I have to start off with Puente though. Like they, they were really the ones who pushed me in believing in myself and transferring. And I had that same exact experience as Dominique. I was also in a place where I felt like I wasn't going to be able to transfer and. Um, my counselor took it upon herself to also contact the school and sit there with me and figure out how we're going to do this, what's our plan. And um, I'm really, really grateful for that. And um, 
even like when it came to scholarships, I, I remember just like telling my counsel, like, Hey, I want to apply here, but I don't have this and I don't have that. And I know we need our official transcripts, but that takes like four days. And of course me college student procrastinating. So, um, she was like, you know, I got you, let me connect you with some people. And I got connected with some people on campus and they were able to expedite the process for my official transcript and they were able to send that scholarship. Um, so she stayed up with me till nine to like finish that scholarship, write my letter of recommendation, and then to do that process of expediting the official transcript. That is something that I'm really grateful for. Like that in itself for me shows that they truly care for you at Miracosta. And also like just picking my major, um, the English professor for Puente, she really, really pushed me towards that route. And she, she was really like rooting for me. I was trying to do like something that my parents wanted me to do and not really following what I wanted to do. And um, in, within that and finding the major that I want to do, I was able to use it to understand who I am and my identity and my cultural background, which I can also appreciate. Yeah, I, I, so Julie, I share that uh, uh, having benefiting uh, from support in that application process. I know when I was applying to grad school myself, I, I for some reason thought I had to do it on my own. Like, you know, it's the next step. I, I've, you know, it's it's on me to get myself out there. So I was writing my my statements of purpose all by myself. And one of my professors, uh, a literature professor, he kind of like totally intervened and was like, "Let me see that." And and it it. It was so important to me, not not just in terms of like it was another set of eyes to kind of, you know, help edit these letters and, and get, get my application up to scratch, but the guidance that came with that, just the back and forth, the, the collaboration. Um, so that's awesome that you're experiencing that now. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's a relationship that will sustain, I imagine, as you, you know, go to, to grad school, too. Um, with that, I would have to say that um, also they taught me how to reach out more too, because I wasn't that type to reach out for help and they would reach out to me because they knew and they took it upon themselves to be like, all right, well, she doesn't know, so I'm going to teach her. And um, that's exactly what it did. And because of them, I have all these relationships formed at Miracosta and I have been able to get jobs, um, internships, scholarships because of that. I just want to say, like, I love these experiences that you guys are sharing because going to a four-year college, it's, obvious, it's like completely not like that. People do not look for you. It's hard to find someone by yourself. And I mean, my classrooms, like most of my classes probably had 300 to 500 students. And for a professor to even say, I think you were in my class, that's like a win. <laughs> and it's just so different hearing about what it's like going to a smaller college. It's a different system to be sure. And but there's a different learning curve there, right? And that's why relationships are important at the four year too, because the things that we're talking about, the things you don't know that you need to know, you have to navigate and find those things differently than at the community college. They may have a more direct access to instructors, counselors, things like that, but you have other levels of people that you would have to go to, I would imagine, right? Yeah, so I, I did go to my counselor like pretty often. She still doesn't know my name, but that's okay. So I have um, like a counselor for my small college and she helped me with my transcripts. And then I had a different counselor for like my biology department and helped me get classes and things like that. I had a different counselor when I was studying abroad. And so it's like, you really have to 
will be willing to go out there and ask questions and look for these resources because there's no like giant book that anyone's going to read that has all these things listed somewhere. So um, I want to go back to Dominique, you brought this up earlier, and you said that when you enter a class, you're choosing a seat. And, and I, I want to go around and kind of hear, hear how Julie and Abby, and, and we'll start with you, Dominique, like, what, so what's the class? What's the seat? Why do you pick it with regards to like, how you want to connect in, with a relationship, either with the professor or students or not, right? Like, what's mm -hmm. the thinking there about why you pick your seat? Dom. Oh my gosh, let's all do this. I want everyone to do this. But yeah, start us off, Dom. Um, honestly, when I go in the classroom, like it depends on like the layout of the classroom. Like, so if there's like the desk, like the rows, I like I go for like the middle and the middle, like the middle and like in the middle. Just because like I have access to like literally everything. Like I just can see like the front, but I also have like I'm in the back. So it's like if I kind of want to be a little sneaky, I'm I'm in like towards the back. But if it's like the chairs with like the rope, like where you can like move them, that's a little difficult because every day there's gonna be a new type of like structure to them. But like I mean, you still know you're assigned, like not your your unassigned assigned seat you still know it but like it's a little different so you kind of got to roll it there but like I still try to go in the middle just because like I also can't see too sometimes <laughs> can't be too far back but I try to be in the middle just because like you literally like you have access to everything like the teacher's still there you have the board you still have your students like next to you in front of you and the back of you so like I literally I just like being in the middle so like I just can see everything and that way like so I, I have people partners on my left and right and in front of me so it's like I can just tap on the like hey you're like I'm sorry <laughs> or I can just be like did you get that back <laughs> but either way like I have somebody so yeah <laughs> that is a super dope strategy Dom I love that <laughs> Julia what do you do Julie I'm sorry um I'm kind of the same as Dominique like there is an unassigned assigned seat and you have to respect that <laughs> I totally like feel that but for me like I really think it depends on the class like if I know if it's gonna be a fun interactive class like calm or literature I usually sit like in the middle because I know they're gonna be like break out into groups and do this and I know that I just turn around and there's already people there I don't have to go look for them and then um if it's like a math class or I remember like my biology classes I would stay on the sides um mostly because I needed to charge my laptop or um I, I like would feel uncomfortable so I wanted to be by the door so that way if I wanted to like step out it wasn't going to be like obvious right and then um yeah I, but at first my first semester like that was really a struggle because when I left high school there was this like for some reason Oceanside High School like really brought out like you have to sit in the t-zone which is the middle and the front and mm. um I was like really like they like really put that in me. So I was like, okay, I'll try to do that in college. So when I got to Maricosta, I tried my best friend and went, they had, there's no problem. But when I did that in like any of my literature courses and um, any of like my science courses, that was so hard for me. And I would push myself to do it, but it was so hard because it was really weird. Like if they were going to call on me, if I was sitting in a certain place where everyone was going to look at me and I say something wrong, I didn't want to be like the eyes where everyone's looking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no. So that's how that I did that. Hmm. Very good. Thank you. How about you, Abby? Well, I don't know you know this because I only took an online class, but I'm usually always tardy. So I always go toward one, an empty seat near the door, and then kind of toward the back side so nobody ever calls on me, like <laughs> Julie said. 
I hate being called on. So I usually just slither into the corner. <laughs> slither in, got it. <laughs> Sneak in. Then then you have access, like Dom's thinking access to everything. You're thinking access to the door. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. <laughs> first last one in, first one out. Right. <laughs> James, where do you sit? Oh man. <laughs> so speaking of relationships, <laughs> I started off Miracosta College trying to sit next to the girls every time because <laughs> that's <laughs> I guess that's where my mind was at the time. So I'd always try to look for like girls and sit there, but um I don't know, I guess over the course of that happening, I started hanging out with more of like the guys instead of started sitting next to the guy looking for seats where the guys are sitting at. And then that didn't work out because it was just too much kind of playing around. And then, I don't know, I got more practical about it. Now the way I choose seats is just the back because I'm six foot five. And I know people behind me can't see. <laughs> Dom, you're shaking your head. Yes, yeah, so I just go to the back now. <laughs> Dom's like, get behind me, dude. <laughs> like, I'm tall too. Like, I'm five seven. But like, sometimes I just like, some, there's like tall people. But I always say, like, they usually sit in the front. And it's like... You, you know I can't see yep. ahead. So it's like sometimes I'll be like going to the side and then it's like, now I look like I'm dancing. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm like yes, that's appreciated. And now it's just in the back. I got to ask, sitting next to girls, did it help? Did you ever pick up anyone? Well, Abby, one of the reasons I had to stop doing that because I got in too many relationships too fast. Wow. <laughs> the class ends, you got to leave. So it's just, I had to, I had to change. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I never, yeah, I never had that problem. If that is a problem. Um, however, you know, I, I knew very early on as a first generation student and like somebody who didn't know anything about college, didn't even know any college graduates, but I knew I wanted to be a college professor, which is like a really weird spot to be in. I would sit in the middle, in the front, every single class and like be like, have everything out, super in, intentional and I would take notes the entire class I would never stop taking notes and I never took notes on the material I always took notes on what the professor was doing because I knew I wanted that job and so I would be like oh that works oh that doesn't really work okay that's where they do that okay that's how they do this this is how they enter the room this is how so it was really weird a strange experience because I would just take notes on their their behavior so I had to be in the very front because I was only paying attention to them now, upon reflection, I'm like, I should have been paying attention to what's going on with the students. Because as an instructor, <laughs> yeah. that's what you should know what's going on. That's but right. I was really obsessed with that job and like wondering how they do what they do and how I felt like I had to catch up in terms of like knowing that, that profession. So I would always sit in the front and be very intense. I mean, I think I'm that way in meetings still. Like I just like am very kind of just laser focused and... Um, probably not the most approachable look, but as an instructor, I've learned to do the opposite of that. So, yeah, yeah. I sat in exactly the same spot, but I took different notes than you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you were taking notes on the content on what's going on in the class, <laughs> right. but I was front center, like totally intense. Um, I, I, you know, so this is making me think about, cause Dom, I teach in the classroom with the wheelie chairs and I put it in different configurations every class. So, um, and I really try, and I, I would be interested to hear your uh, reaction to this, uh, uh, Julie, Abby, and Dom. Um, I try to switch up groups, especially during the first three weeks, because I want students to meet each other in different ways, uh, to, to have opportunity to build different relationships. 
because otherwise I, I I notice the class sink into like comfort groups and 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 what I worry about um, is either those groups initially are chosen by gender uh, women seeking out women or or men seeking out men or men trying to seek out women um, I also see them forming around uh, racial identities uh, and other identities as well and and I want I, I know that there's safety in those spaces, but I also know that there's a risk in those spaces that we kind of, you know, we never get an opportunity to hear other perspectives or, or, or sort of experience things from different points of view. So does that, knowing that I do that as a professor and, and imagining yourself in my class, would that piss you off? Would, that, would you appreciate that? Um, what do you think? <laughs> I think I, I wouldn't mind. It doesn't really bother me so much. Um, especially for like knowing how you are as a professor and probably just with good intention. Um, I probably would if I came in and I saw all the chairs in like a big circle, I'd be like, <sighs> but that's, that's pretty much it. Exactly. It's going to be one of those. They want me to talk. <laughs> yeah. I can't slither in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no slithering with the circle. You're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, the only open seat is across the classroom, furthest from the door. Yeah. What do you think, Julie? What's your response? Like that kind of situation? Is that intimidating? Um, well, for me, I don't really mind. I mean, I really appreciate when, when professors do that. Um, that's happened actually a lot in Puente where they would call it familias and we would break out into familias and um, we would, that, that happened a lot the first semester because obviously they want you to get to know your cohort. So we were like, put into these groups, like in different groups, every, every class. So, um, I mean, I kind of got used to it. And then when I, when that didn't happen and I was only like seeing the same people in the same group in different classes, um, it was just like, I want to meet new people. Like, um, not that I didn't like them, but it's just like, I wanted to get to know other people. Um, I didn't like, I don't like the idea of having clicks. Like I like to be friendly with everybody. I want to know everybody. So um, I really do appreciate when professors do that because then I, I don't feel like by the end of the semester, usually there's presentations. Um, I don't feel as intimidated to do them in front of people I already know. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you. Um, for me, <laughs> in the beginning, like I don't mind because I like we're trying to get to know everyone and all that. But like, for like example, this semester, my English class, like we're always going on to breakout groups. I think it also depends like the material and the conversation. Cause like sometimes when we're in breakout groups, like like depending on the, like the conversation or the material, it's like, it's like well discussion, like we're going back and forth, like talking, hearing different perspectives. And it's like, it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's enjoyable because like, I just like hearing different perspectives, but then sometimes when it's just like dry stuff, like dry talking, and then it's just, we're sitting there in silence and then it gets awkward and then we're just looking at each other. So and then it's like, all right. And then it's like, I'm waiting, like we're literally desperately waiting for the teacher to call us back. <laughs> so like in moments like those, it's like, whew, like, can we just get back to like one big classroom? But then like, yeah, like you said, like when the discussions are like good, it's like, okay, I like it. I can hear from like, that person specifically one-on-one -on -one, and like you I like that yeah so it just depends on the situation totally and you're talking about in zoom is that what you're talking about the breakout rooms or no, like before we went on zoom yeah so like my class okay. we would like we would like we would read like an like an essay for like the night before and then come in class and break out and talk about it so like if the material was like 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 good information like we're going like we're constantly talking but if it was like something i was like 
we didn't even understand it. No one understand. No one really did work. And so, so that's what we'll start off like, did you do it? And they're like, no. It's like, so. <laughs> and I were just sitting there. So yeah, it all just depends. <laughs> and um, Julie, can you talk a little bit about maybe how going to school, you know, having this really big investment in your education, how does that impact the other relationships in your life? If, if, if you um, are willing to share that, like with your family, with your friends, do you, are there challenges with that? Is everybody supportive? Like, what, what does that look like for you? I mean, in terms of like my family, I feel like they have always been supportive of me. So Great. just me going to school like that to them is like, they don't care. They're like, I don't care if I ever see you. You better go to school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're super supportive. Anything that I need that they're there for. The only thing I will say is that um, when I do need to get my work done, they are not supportive on that because they'll be like, come on, you have to be at this event. And I'm like, I have to do my homework too. And um, they're not really understanding of that because they're like, oh, you're so smart. You can finish in like an hour. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And um, I feel like, Personally, for me, like my sister, she's also in school and she's in high school. So um, she's looking up to me a lot and she's always like, I need help on this. I need help on that. And sometimes I'm like, I can't help you because I'm really busy. And she'll be like, ever since you went into college, like you're always so busy. You never help me out. You're supposed to be helping me. And I feel like that kind of like not ruined our relationship, but it's made it kind of difficult to like always be together because we're so used. To, we've always grown up together. Me and her like my family, the way I grew up, I didn't grow up in a regular household with um, my parents. Like I was bouncing around different houses from my dad's to my grandma's to my mom's. Like we never had a stable living. So me and my sister were very, very close. So going into college, um, I lived, on, I moved out, live on my own. So to her, it's like, now that you're completely moved out, you're like only focusing on school and you're not even like ever coming to see me. So that relationship was kind of difficult. Um, my friends like around me, they were like, oh, let's go out, let's do this. And they would never understand when I have to like get some homework done or when I just want to stay home because I'm tired. Like they think just being in school is like being in school. There's nothing to it, but it like, I feel mentally drained sometimes by the end of the week. I don't want to be going out. I want to stay home and they take it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So I have lost a couple of friends, um, due to school, but I honestly feel like I have gained better friends because of school. And especially people who are in, or who are students because they understand that struggle. Yeah, and, and that's something that's rarely talked about, right? And I feel like that too. You know, I come from a very low income uh, neighborhood. I was a high school dropout, you know, and I had friends that were pretty much on the same path. And when I started going to college, I started to feel that separation between me and those friends. And not just like physically, because I was at school and they were doing this, but also because of the things I started to think about, the things that I was invested in, kind of the the, the social issues that I was um, getting involved with. You know, you, you start picking up all this momentum in this certain direction and you feel distant from not just friends, but also family, you know? And, and the language that you use now separates you from people who um, were in your past. And, and it, it's, it's a heartbreaking process, but also like you said, you gain a lot too. And I feel like that's a conversation we don't have, and uh, we don't talk about that enough. Like this idea of the distance that grows between people once they become more highly educated, right? And I saw Dom, you were like 
definitely agreeing with yes. the, hey, my friends aren't understanding what's going on and, and, and things like that. Can you talk about how your relationships have changed a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so like my, out of my friend group, I'm like the only one who goes to school. Mm -hmm. The rest of them are workers. And so like, it's like, especially because I don't really work that much because I'm, I'm taking like seven classes. So it's like, they're like, they're always like, oh, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Let's go. But I'm like, first off, I barely have any money. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a school, like it's like different. Like, and then like when it's like comes to like conversation, like they like to talk about work and all this kind of stuff, things are going on. And I'm like, I talk about school, but it's like, sometimes we, we just can't like relate sometimes. And then like going back to like having those relationships with people that are already in school, it's just easier to connect. Cause like they understand like the struggles you're going through, how tired you are, the workload, all of that stuff. So you can relate with them better than like your friends that you had for a long time like the yes they're my like yeah they're my friends but it's like certain conversations like I just can't have with them or it's like if I like you said like vocabulary like <laughs> for me since I'm an African-American they're kind of like oh like why are you talking like that like oh look mm. at her she thinks she's all that stuff like that and it's like I don't I'm, I'm like I, I don't do it on purpose just like now that I have that like knowledge it just it just it's there so I, I can't take it away but it's like yeah this there's, there's sometimes that barrier between like workers and like of people who go to school like I like I still go to work but it's just like I'm not I work 24 7 as like they are so it's just it's just hard to relate sometimes and, and that's a very common problem that's a lot of people explore that issue like like does does more education take away your blackness your your hispanicness your mexicanness your filipinoness like does it is that kind of are you getting more kind of uh acclimated to what we would consider to be white culture right because you're going to come <laughs> i didn't want to like i don't know if i was going to go there yet so sorry. i'm ready yeah, so like, i'm ready i'm fine okay. I'll, I'll go there yeah, yeah we're good like, like, why, acting white, like why are you like talking like that she's using her white voice and it's like it's like even though like yeah i have a little like i talk a little different like a little slang to me sometimes but like i like code switching like i just know certain like certain places or certain people like I have to talk in a like a professional voice because like I want to be taken like seriously and stuff like that whereas like to them like they just be talking out they, they, like they just talk how they want to talk but like yeah so it's in like when I like do that or like I'm on a phone like in the like watch this watch this and I'm like it's like I'm like trying so not to laugh <laughs> because it's like yes I, it's like they're my friends so like I know where they're from but then sometimes it's like you like I wish they would just understand like if you just I don't know it's like if you just kind of like took the time to understand where I'm coming from it's like it's part of growth I feel like and it's like you should be happy I feel like you should be happy because it's like I'm like improving I guess and it's yeah it's just that, I mean that's part of education right is knowing when to use things in what context right yeah. and it's kind of I tell my classes all the time you know my name is Sean Davis so you hear my voice over the phone and you see Sean, you hear Sean Davis, but you've never seen me. That's a white guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I am half white, but I'm also half Filipino. So when you see me in person, it's a little bit different. Yes. So it, it, it's, it's interesting that you say the phone thing, because that's the example I use with my class. I say, when I call the phone company, right. There's, mm -hmm. I, I use those Sean Davis white voice to get things done. And I say, yeah excuse me, I think I still have insurance on my phone and I just want to check to make sure I can get a replacement, right? But then when I'm talking to my friends, I'm like, my shit's fucked up. My fucking, <laughs> yeah. my fucking phone's fucked up. Like, the, 
I don't talk like that to the people at AT&T, right? Mm -hmm. So it is that code switching and it's knowing when to use what language in what situation. Yeah. And so, okay. yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And there's also a discourse of work, right? There's a discourse of education and, and this professionalism, right? Right. That's right. Um, and I think, you know, within the context of what we're talking about here, these things start to pull us into different directions. And it's really fascinating the way that, you know, the, the relationship of a space is informed by the culture of that space, which we then perpetuate with the language we use after, you know, engaging in that space. And then how do we, you know, what do we have to do with each other uh, in terms of code switching, in terms of how fiercely we want to pursue these relationships with each other afterwards? There's so much baked into that, right? Values, et cetera. Um, you said uh, that so much nicer than I did. I said my shit's fucked up. That's what I said on the podcast. I should have. Thank said you. Thank you for bringing that back, <laughs> making us feel professional again. Let's regroup. Was I, was I using a white voice there? Is that, is that weird? <laughs> I want to hear your non-white voice. I'm ready. No, no, no. We get, no we'll, we'll get there. We'll get that off air. Yeah. Uh, Abby, did you want to jump in with, with something about relationships and how those have changed? I mean, along, I guess, my experience is probably different. So I'm Asian American, I'm Chinese. And I think my schooling, you know, going to school excels my Asianness mm -hmm. um, in a strange sense. Like, like the way I was raised, um, my mother wasn't overbearing or anything like that, but if I said I had to do something for school, that was it. No questions asked. I do whatever I want, basically. Um, and the high school that I went to was, I mean, because I'm also low income, first you know, generation college student and all that stuff. But my high school was very competitive. And so a lot of the friends I had were also very academically competitive. And so the friends that I had from childhood kind of, came with that understanding that school comes first, I guess. And so even in college, you know, we write letters, we talk, but, but I always had that support that everybody understood what I was going through, I guess, which was nice. But that's why it's so fun to hear like your guys' experiences because they're just so different. Yeah, 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 well, totally. We've been talking a lot about relationships uh, that help us in the community or in the college space, um, relationships outside of college. I'm really curious about um, maybe a classroom situation, so how the classroom was configured, um, maybe a um, just a, a tone that you felt in class, or maybe even another part of college, maybe a, an encounter with admissions and records, maybe just trying to navigate a parking lot. What what what's an ex an experience you've had that where you know you wanted to form a relationship but it just wasn't possible because of how something was structured? Um, Julie, you want to start us? Yes, actually, um, I did experience that in one of my communication classes. You know, I felt like very confident. Like I'm not usually one to get um, shy in front of presenting it in front of people. So, I mean, I thought that class was gonna be really easy. And when I first went into that class, it was like, everybody was super nice. So I was like, oh, I'm excited for this class. Everyone's gonna be supportive of everyone. And as we started going into that classroom, um, like diving deep into the speeches and stuff and people started presenting, there was kind of more of a political view in that class. And, you know, um, I will say there was a lot of veterans, a lot of pro-Trump and me being a minority, a product of immigrant parents, I was very, very scared. 
And um, that was a really, really scary experience for me because I felt really uncomfortable to present. Like when it was a speech about yourself, it was like, where do you come from? Like, who are you and stuff? And I felt really uncomfortable to talk about it because I felt like they were going to discriminate against me. And that and it, and then like when they would present about themselves, they were like, oh, yeah, my my dad works as, at a law firm. My dad does this. My mom does this. And I was sitting there like my dad isn't even here with me because of his status and my mom works as a bartender like am I even supposed to be here and that's how I felt like in that entire class like I felt so like segregated in there and I sat in the back the entire time and then I would probably never go to class yeah it was like I was barely in that class and I would only go to present my speeches and even during my speeches I remember I would get questioned a lot about what I would write about they're like what are your sources and like I felt like that professor never helped to navigate or to filter some of those questions like she just she just kind of let it happen so that was unfortunate and I felt really really attacked in that class and it, it was scary and a lot of it was funny too because I had other puentistas in that class and they were also scared to defend me like after class they'd be like hey like I saw what happened like I'm sorry that happened but I didn't know what to say and I can't blame them because I would probably be in the same situation. I'd be way too scared to speak up. Thank you so much for sharing that, Julie. Um, really appreciate that. Dominique, do you have a, an experience where it just was difficult to build a relationship? No, like I, I like going back to like my first semester, looking around in the classroom, like kind of what Julie said, I'm usually like the only black person in there, or I'm usually only the only black female in there. So like I've caught, gotten like used to like being that, like the odd one out kind of. So then I kind of just like not accepted it, but like just kind of moved past it. Like, like I kind of took it as like a chip on my shoulder. Like, yeah, like you are the only black female in here. So it's just like, I kind of made it to a point where I just like, I forced my way into things. <laughs> not like, I guess, yeah. Like a conversation. So like, I kind of, there wasn't as much as like backlash, like as, as she, as she had but I I just was made as, like I just wanted to like make sure like our side as an African-Americans like our side was always heard and like a um and like if we were like sharing stuff about like our background or just like a culture or stuff like that I always made like stand up or speak up for it so like in communication class like we had talking about cultures or like something that you resonated with and I did mine on like the Black Lives Matter or the Black Lives Matter too and so like I just did a presentation on that and I just like I just I had questions obviously and so like it's always like that like I the only thing is like I don't like when they like they do like they ask me as I'm speaking for like, the whole community right and stuff like that but like I still kind of form that relationship with them just so they can know like I, this is my opinion, but like you can like you can feel comfortable coming with me to ask me, but this is just nothing that this is just my opinion. Yeah. So that's that's you persisting through what is otherwise a, a, a layers of uh, uh, culture, right? Of discourse in that mm -hmm. space. Earlier we were talking about like just the whiteness of um, of college, right? Of of right. how a classroom is structured. Um, this is something that I'm very cognizant uh, of as a white male. Uh, Christian professor, right? And it's 
I want to make sure that I'm not putting those layers on my students that they've got to additionally fight through just to get to a space where they feel like they can engage with the tasks that I'm setting up for. You know, English class, communication class, sociology classes, I think we have these opportunities to engage in these kinds of conversations, personal experience connected to some kind of critical concept, right? Um, but if I'm not cognizant of what, what is the voice that's dominating this space, right? And or what am I putting on my students? Am I making them represent something that, right, just because of what I perceive about their identity, um, um, that, that, that just adds, and again, we're talking about relationships, right? Um, uh, it, it, on the one hand, it adds so much just to that educational experience um, that you as a student have to persist through. And then on top of that, if you want a meaningful relationship with the professor, you've got to fight for that as well. Um, so Dominic, I think that says a lot about you to persist. You know, you've got, you're clearly goal oriented and fiercely hardworking. So despite those situations, you, you persist. So that's, do we want to pick up on that at all or? or you talked about it a little bit with kind of the structure of of the the four year and that making things a little bit difficult to form relationships. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add to that, or any specific experience you thought of? I mean, so in general, I didn't have that many close relationships with a lot of my professors. I mean, not even a lot of most of the students because there were so many in one class. Um, but so most, most of my classes, how they kind of tackle this issue is they have one huge lecture hall. And then um, once or twice a week, the class is also assigned to a discussion section. It's like another hour of class some other time. And it's in like 20 to 30 person groups and it's led by a TA. And so you can develop close relationships with your TA. And that's <laughs> kind of it unless you the only way you see your professors through their office hours but it's usually so crowded with other students that it's really hard to make a good connection well thank you all three of you for for telling us about those specific experiences i think it'll be really helpful to our listeners so kind of the last question i have in wrapping up here is speaking to faculty speaking to you know the librarians the counselors the instructors um, or anybody who's working at the college, really, what do you feel like, how, how can they begin to um, establish and, and cultivate better relationships with students? I mean, you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, you've seen it all. Um, what, what would you tell them if they were to ask you, uh, how, how can I form better relationships with my students to um, help contribute to their success? What, what, what would you say? And we could start with Julie, if you have something. Okay. I would start by saying uh, decolonize your syllabus. Mm. Um, that's definitely so important, I, for me at least. Um, I feel like that's the first thing that everyone looks at is the syllabus, like what am I gonna be doing? And um, if you decolonize your syllabus, adding support systems in there, um, you know, just showing that you genuinely care about the students in your class, I feel like it's really, really important because then already that student is gonna have that like notion that, okay, this professor, you know, is here to help me and is here to teach me and educate me rather than to belittle me or I'm just another student to them. So that's where I would start. And then second, I guess, is um, to reach out. I know there's a lot of, I know a lot of professors are very, very busy. Um, but so are students and then we're we're told to like reach out and stuff but 
other professors can't reach out to us. So I feel like maybe um, find time to reach out to your students. Or um, I know like in Puente, like they would do journals before we started class. So like write up, she would just have a prompt and then we would just write on it. And then she would reply back to each of our prompts um, and give it back to us the next class. So it was kind of like we had a discussion without having a discussion. And it kind of just like creates that bond. Cool, thank you. Abby, you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. I don't know. As someone who's gone to a lot of different counselors and teachers and all that, just because of the nature of my school, I feel like my first interaction, like I'm, I'm very influenced, I guess, by first impressions. And if someone's like demeanor or you know just how they say things, like tone, not necessarily what they're saying to me, really is important to me. Um, and if it feels like that person is willing to help me, is supportive, friendly, things like that, then I am more willing to ask questions and open up and seek more services and things like that. And so the professors that have, like maybe they, they didn't say like Julie, like where they, they name all the services that are available, but if, in general, I feel like they're open to me asking for help and things like that, it makes for a much better experience. Dom? Uh, to me, Maricosa, like, they did a very good job with, like, building that foundation for me, I guess, with, like, I get, like, just sh showing me just, like, that they they really want to see me, see me succeed. And I guess that would just be, like, continuing, like, that relationship uh, where it's, like, you're encouraging them to, like, let them know that, like, we really are here for you and that we just want the best for you. And that going back to, like, what Julie said, like, just reaching out, like, to make sure that they that they know that you're here and that you can talk to them or ask them questions, that there's resources that they can, like, help you find if that's what you're looking for and just, like, Good, good counselors, like <laughs> going back to that, making sure they set that foundation to know like, like, like how um, Abby said, like her counselor may, have, may not have known her name <laughs> in the beginning, but like, I think like Maricosa is like, if you go to like the same counselor, they're very done that, forming that relationship to make sure like they know, like, I remember you, like I want, I'm trying to, like, I'm here for you, I'm helping you. And just, yeah, just continuing doing that. I really appreciated that. That's perfect. That's like the, 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 those three answers are like the, 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 the recipe for, for building relationships. It's present yourself with a first impression that you're accessible, uh, integrate resources into your syllabus and your curriculum, and then keep checking in and encouraging students. Like, I feel like if I just follow those things, then <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out. Um, Abby, Julie, Tom, Really appreciate your contributions and your insights, taking the time during an apocalypse to chat with us on our podcast. It's awesome. That was, that was really great. We really appreciate everything that you shared with us and we think it's gonna be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Best of luck in all your finals weeks and applications to groovy grad schools and all that stuff. This episode was produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia created the show notes and manages our social media. Episodes of the Safe Topics podcast are now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please download and subscribe. Thank you for listening.